0: Section 13 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1909-1912. to This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. State of the Union Address. William H. Taft. December 3, 1912. Part 1 Continued. In order to make possible the more effective performance of the work necessary for the confinement in their present channel of the waters of the lower Colorado River, and thus to protect the people of the Imperial Valley, as well as in order to reach with the government of Mexico an understanding regarding the distribution of the waters of the Colorado River, in which both governments are much interested, negotiations are going forward with a view to the establishment of a preliminary Colorado River Commission, which shall have the powers necessary to enable it to do the needful work, and with authority to study the question of the equitable distribution of the waters. There is every reason to believe that an understanding upon this point will be reached and that an agreement will be signed in the near future. In the interest of the people and city of El Paso, This government has been assiduous in its efforts to bring to an early settlement the long-standing camisal dispute with Mexico. Much has been accomplished, and while the final solution of the dispute is not immediate, the favorable attitude lately assumed by the Mexican government encourages the hope that this troublesome question will be satisfactorily and definitively settled at an early date. In pursuance of the Convention of August 23, 1906, signed at the 3rd Pan Am American Conference held at Rio de Janeiro, the International Commission of Jurists met at that capital during the month of last June. At this meeting, 16 American republics were represented, including the United States, and comprehensive plans for the future work of the Commission were adopted. At the next meeting, fixed for June 1914, committees already appointed are instructed to report regarding topics assigned to them. In my message on foreign relations, communicated to the two Houses of Congress on December 7, I called a special attention to the assembling of the Opian Conference at The Hague, to the fact that that conference was to review all pertinent municipal laws relating to the opium and allied evils, and certainly all international rules regarding these evils, and to the fact that it seemed to me most essential that the Congress should take immediate action on the anti-narcotic legislation before the Congress, to which I had previously called attention by a special message. The international convention adopted by the conference conforms almost entirely to the principles contained in the proposed anti-narcotic legislation, which has been before the last two Congresses. It was most unfortunate that this government, having taken the initiative in the international action which eventuated in the important International Opium Convention, failed to do its share in the great work by neglecting to pass the necessary legislation to correct the deplorable narcotic evils in the United States, as well as to redeem international pledges upon which it entered by virtue of the above-mentioned convention. The Congress at its present session should enact into law those bills now before it, which has been so carefully drawn up in collaboration between the Department of State and the other executive departments, and which have behind them not only the moral sentiment of the country, but the practical support of all the legitimate trade interests likely to be affected. Since the International Convention was signed, adherence to it has been made by several European states, not represented at the Conference at The Hague, and also by 17 Latin American republics. The War Between Italy and Turkey came to a close in October last by the signature of a treaty of peace, subsequently to which the Ottoman Empire renounced sovereignty over Cyrenica and Tripolotina in favor of Italy. During the past year, the Near East has unfortunately been the theater of constant hostilities. Almost simultaneously with the conclusion of peace between Italy and Turkey, and their arrival at an adjustment of the complex questions at issue between them, war broke out between Turkey on the one hand, and Bulgaria, Greece, Montenegro, and Serbia on the other. The United States has happily been involved, neither directly nor indirectly, with the causes or questions incident to any of these hostilities, and has maintained, in regard to them, in attitude of absolute neutrality and of complete political disinterestedness. In the Second War, in which the Ottoman Empire has been engaged, the loss of life and the consequent distress on both sides have been appalling, and the United States has found occasion, in the interest of humanity, to carry out the charitable desires of the American people to extend a measure of relief to the sufferers on either side through the impartial medium of the Red Cross. Beyond this, the chief care of the government of the United States has been to make due provision for the protection of its national resident in belligerent territory. In the exercise of my duty in this matter, I have dispatched to Turkish waters a special service squadron consisting of two armored cruisers, in order that this government may if need be bear its part in such measures as it may be necessary for the interested nations to adopt for the safeguarding of foreign lives and property in the Ottoman Empire in the event that a dangerous situation should develop. In the meanwhile, the several interested European powers have promised to extend to American citizens the benefit of such precautionary or protective measures as they might adopt, in the same manner in which it has been the practice of this government to extend its protection to all foreign residents in those countries of the Western Hemisphere in which it has from time to time been the task of the United States to act in the interest of peace and good order. The early appearance of a large fleet of European warships in the Bosphorus apparently assured the protection of foreigners in that quarter, where the presence of the American stationnaire the USS Scorpion sufficed, tender the circumstances to represent the United States. Our cruisers were thus left free to act, if need be, along the Mediterranean coasts, should any unexpected contingency arise affecting the numerous American interests in the neighborhood of Smyrna and Beirut. The great preponderance of American material interests in the sub-Arctic island of Spitsbergen which has always been regarded politically as no man's land, impels this government to a continued and lively interest in the international dispositions to be made for the political governments and administration of that region. The conflict of certain claims of American citizens and others is in a fair way to adjustment, while the settlement of matters of administration, whether by International Conference of the Interested Powers or otherwise, continues to be the subject of exchange of views between the governments concerned. As a result of the efforts of this government to place the government of Liberia in position to pay its outstanding indebtedness and to maintain a stable and efficient government, negotiations for a loan of $1,700,000 have been successfully concluded, and it is anticipated that the payment of the old loan and the issuance of the bonds of the 1912 loan for the rehabilitation of the finances of Liberia will follow at an early date, when the new receivership will go into active operation. The new receivership will consist of a general receiver of customs, designated by the Government of the United States, and three receivers of customs designated by the governments of Germany, France, and Great Britain, which countries have commercial interests in the Republic of Liberia. In carrying out the understanding between the government of Liberia and that of the United States, and in fulfilling the terms of the agreement between the former government and the American bankers, three competent ex-army officers are now effectively employed by the Liberian government in reorganizing the police force of the Republic not only to keep in order the native tribes in the hinterland, but to serve as a necessary police force along the frontier. It is hoped that these measures will assure not only the continued existence, but the prosperity and welfare of the Republic of Liberia. Liberia possesses fertility of soil and natural resources, which should ensure to its people a reasonable prosperity. It was the duty of the United States to assist the Republic of Liberia, in accordance with our historical interest and moral guardianship, of a community founded by American citizens, as it was also the duty of the American government to attempt to assure permanence to a country of much sentimental and perhaps future real interest to a large body of our citizens. The Legation at Tangier is now in charge of our Consul-General, who is acting as Charge d'Affaires, as well as caring for our commercial interests in that country. In view of the fact that many of the foreign powers are now represented by Charges d'Affaires, it has not been deemed necessary to appoint at the present time a minister to fill a vacancy occurring in that post. The political disturbances in China in the autumn and winter of 1911 through 12 resulted in the abdication of the Manchu rulers on February twelfth, followed by the formation of a provincial Republican government, empowered to conduct the affairs of the nation until a permanent government might be regularly established. The natural sympathy of the American people with the assumption of Republican principles by the Chinese people was appropriately expressed in a concurrent resolution of Congress on April seventeenth. 1912. A constituent assembly, composed of representatives duly chosen by the people of China, in the elections that are now being held, has been called to meet in January next to adopt a permanent constitution and organize the government of the nascent republic. During the formative constitutional stage, and pending definite action by the assembly, in expressive of the popular will and the hoped-for establishment of a stable Republican form of government, capable of fulfilling its international obligations, the United States is, according to precedent, maintaining full and friendly de facto relations with the provisional government. The new condition of affairs thus created has presented many serious and complicated problems, both of international rehabilitation and of international relations, whose solution it was realized would necessarily require much time and patience. From the beginning of the upheaval, last autumn, it was felt by the United States, in common with the other powers having large interests in China, that independent action by the foreign governments in their own individual interests would add further confusion to a situation already complicated. A policy of international cooperation was accordingly adopted in an understanding reached early in the disturbances. To act together for the protection of the lives and property of foreigners if menaced, to maintain an attitude of strict impartiality as between the contending factions, and to abstain from any endeavor to influence the Chinese in their organization of a new form of government." IN VIEW OF THE SERIOUSNESS OF THE DISTURBANCES AND THEIR GENERAL CHARACTER, THE AMERICAN MINISTER AT Peking WAS INSTRUCTED AT HIS DISCRETION TO ADVISE OUR NATIONALS IN THE AFFECTED DISTRICTS TO CONCENTRATE AT SUCH CENTERS AS WERE EASILY ACCESSIBLE TO FOREIGN TROOPS OR MEN OF WAR. NINETEEN OF OUR NAVAL VESSELS WERE STATIONED AT VARIOUS CHINESE PORTS and other measures were promptly taken for the adequate protection of American interests. It was further mutually agreed, in the hope of hastening an end to hostilities, that none of the interested powers would approve the making of loans by its nationals to either side. As soon, however, as a united provincial government of China was assured, the United States joined in a favorable consideration of that government's request, for advances needed for immediate administrative necessities, and later for a loan to effect a permanent national reorganization. The interested governments had already, by common consent, adopted, in respect to the purposes, expenditure, and security of any loans to China made by their nationals, certain conditions which were held to be essential, not only to secure reasonable protection for the foreign investors, But also to safeguard and strengthen China's credit by discouraging indiscriminate borrowing and by ensuring the application of the funds toward the establishment of the stable and effective government necessary to China's welfare. In June last, representative banking groups of the United States, France, Germany, Great Britain, Japan, and Russia formulated with the general sanction of their respective governments, the guarantees that would be expected in relation to the expenditure and security of the large reorganization loan desired by China, which, however, have thus far proved unacceptable to the provincial government. In August last, I accredited the Secretary of State as Special Ambassador to Japan, charged with the mission of bearing to the imperial family the government, and the people of that empire, the sympathetic message of the American Commonwealth on the sad occasion of the death of His Majesty the Emperor Mutsuhito, whose long and benevolent reign was the greater part of Japan's modern history. The kindly reception everywhere recorded to Secretary Knox showed that his mission was deeply appreciated by the Japanese nation, and emphasized strongly the friendly relations that have for so many years existed between the two peoples. Our relations with the Argentine Republic are most friendly and cordial. So also are our relations with Brazil, whose government has accepted the invitation of the United States to send two army officers to study at the Coast Artillery School at Fort Monroe, The long-standing Alsop claim, which had been the only hindrance to the healthy growth of the most friendly relations between the United States and Chile, having been eliminated through the submission of the question to His Britannic Majesty King George V as amiable compositor, it is a cause of much gratification to me that our relations with Chile are now established upon a firm basis of growing friendship. The Chilean government has placed an officer of the United States Coast Artillery in charge of the Chilean Coast Artillery School and has shown appreciation of American methods by confiding to an American firm important work for the Chilean Coast defenses. Last year, a revolution against the established government of Ecuador broke out in the principal port of that republic. Previous to this occurrence, the chief American interest in Ecuador, represented by the Guayaquil and Quito Railroad Company, incorporated in the United States, had rendered extensive transportation and other services on account to the Ecuadorian government, the amount of which ran into a sum which was steadily increasing, and which the Ecuadorian government had made no provision to pay thereby threatening to crush out the very existence of this American enterprise. When tranquility had been restored to Ecuador, as a result of the triumphant progress of the government forces from Quito, this government interposed its good offices to the end that the American interests in Ecuador might be saved from complete extinction. As a part of the arrangement which was reached between the parties, and at the request of the government of Ecuador, I have consented to name an arbitrator who, acting under the terms of the railroad contract with an arbitrator named by the Ecuadorian government, will pass upon the claims that have arisen since the arrangement reached through the action of a similar arbitral tribunal in 1908. In pursuance of a request made some time ago by the Ecuadorian government, the Department of State has given much attention to the problem of the proper sanitation of guayaquil As a result, a detail of officers of the Canal Zone will be sent to guayaquil to recommend measures that will lead to the complete permanent sanitation of this plague and fever-infected region of that republic, which has for so long constituted a menace to health conditions on the Canal Zone. It is hoped that the report which this mission will furnish, will point out a way whereby the modicum of assistance which the United States may properly lend the Ecuadorian government may be made effective in ridding the west coast of South America of a focus of contagion to the future commercial current passing through the Panama Canal. In the matter of the claim of John Celestine Landru against the government of Peru, which claim arises out of certain contracts and transactions in connection with the discovery and exploitation of guano, and which has been under discussion between the two governments since 1874, I am glad to report that, as the result of prolonged negotiations, which have been characterized by the utmost friendliness and goodwill on both sides, the Department of State has succeeded in securing the consent of Peru to the arbitration of the claim and that the negotiations attending the drafting and signature of a protocol submitting the claim to an arbitral tribunal are proceeding with due celerity an officer of the american public health service and an american sanitation engineer are now on the way to iquitos in the employment of the peruvian government to take charge of the sanitation of that river port Peru is building a number of submarines in this country and continues to show every desire to have American capital invested in the Republic. In July, the United States sent undergraduate delegates to the third International Students Congress held at Lima, American students having been for the first time invited to one of these meetings. The Republic of Uruguay has shown its appreciation of American agricultural and other methods by sending a large commission to this country and by employing many American experts to assist in building up agricultural and allied industries in Uruguay. Venezuela is paying off the last of the claims, the settlement of which was provided for by the Washington Protocols, including those of American citizens our relations with Venezuela are most cordial, and the trade of that republic with the United States is now greater than with any other country. During the past summer, the revolution against the administration, which followed the assassination of President Caceres a year ago last November, brought the Dominican Republic to the verge of administrative chaos without offering any guarantees of eventual stability in the ultimate success of either party. In pursuance of the treaty relations of the United States with the Dominican Republic, which were threatened by the necessity of suspending the operation under American administration of the custom houses on the Haitian frontier, it was found necessary to dispatch special commissioners to the island to re-establish the custom houses and with a guard sufficient to ensure needed protection to the Customs Administration. The efforts which have been made appear to have resulted in the restoration of normal conditions throughout the Republic. The good offices, which the commissioners were able to exercise, were instrumental in bringing the contending parties together, and in furnishing a basis of adjustment which it is hoped will result in permanent benefit to the Dominican people mindful of its treaty relations, and owing to the position of the government of the United States as mediator between the Dominican Republic and Haiti in their boundary dispute, and because of the further fact that the revolutionary activities on the Haitian-Dominican frontier had become so active as practically to obliterate the line of demarcation that had been heretofore recognized, pending the definitive settlement of the boundary and controversy, it was found necessary to indicate to the two island governments a provisional de facto boundary line. This was done without prejudice to the rights or obligations of either country, and a final settlement to be reached by arbitration. The tentative line chosen was one which, under the circumstances brought to the knowledge of this government, seemed to conform to the best interests of the disputants—the Border patrol which it had been found necessary to re-establish for customs purposes between the two countries, was instructed provisionally to observe this line. The Republic of Cuba, last May, was in the throes of a lawless uprising, that for a time threatened the destruction of a great deal of valuable property, much of it owned by Americans and other foreigners, as well as the existence of the government itself the armed forces of Cuba, being inadequate to guard properly from attack and at the same time properly to operate against the rebels, a force of American marines was dispatched from our naval station at Guantanamo into the province of Oriente for the protection of American and other foreign life and property. The Cuban government was thus able to use all its forces in putting down the outbreak, which it succeeded in doing in a period of six weeks. The presence of two American warships in the harbor of Habana during the most critical period of this disturbance contributed in great measure to allay the fears of the inhabitants, including a large foreign colony. There has been under discussion with the government of Cuba for some time the question of the release by this government of its leasehold rights at Bahia Honda, on the northern coast of Cuba, and the enlargement, in exchange, therefore, of the naval station which has been established at Guantanamo Bay on the south. As the result of the negotiations thus carried on, an agreement has been reached between the two governments, providing for the suitable enlargement of the Guantanamo Bay station upon terms which are entirely fair and equitable to all parties concerned. At the request alike of the government, and both political parties in Panama, an American commission undertook supervision of the recent presidential election in that republic, where our treaty relations, and indeed every geographical consideration, make the maintenance of order in satisfactory conditions of particular interest to the government of the United States. The elections passed without disorder, and the new administration has entered upon its functions." THE GOVERNMENT OF GREAT BRITAIN HAS ASKED THE SUPPORT OF THE UNITED STATES FOR THE PROTECTION OF THE INTERESTS OF BRITISH HOLDERS OF THE FOREIGN BONDED DEBT OF Guatemala. WHILE THIS GOVERNMENT IS HOPEFUL OF AN ARRANGEMENT EQUITABLE TO THE BRITISH BONDHOLDERS, IT IS NATURALLY UNABLE TO VIEW THE QUESTION APART FROM ITS RELATION TO THE BROAD SUBJECT OF FINANCIAL STABILITY IN CENTRAL AMERICA, IN WHICH THE POLICY OF THE UNITED STATES does not permit it to escape a vital interest. Through a renewal of negotiations between the government of Guatemala and American bankers, the aim of which is a loan for the rehabilitation of Guatemalan finances, a way appears to be open by which the government of Guatemala could promptly satisfy any equitable and just British claims, and at the same time so improve its whole financial position as to contribute greatly to the increased prosperity of the Republic, and to redound to the benefit of foreign investments and foreign trade with that country. Failing such an arrangement, it may become impossible for the government of the United States to escape its obligation in connection with such measures, as may be necessary to exact justice to legitimate foreign claims." In the recent revolution in Nicaragua, which it was generally admitted might well have resulted in a general Central American conflict, but for the intervention of the United States, the government of Honduras was especially menaced. But fortunately, peaceful conditions were maintained within the borders of that republic. The financial condition of that country remains unchanged no means having been found for the final adjustment of pressing outstanding foreign claims. This makes it the more regrettable that the financial convention between the United States and Honduras has thus far failed for ratification. The government of the United States continues to hold itself ready to cooperate with the government of Honduras, which it is believed cannot much longer delay the meeting of its foreign obligations, and it is hoped that the proper time American bankers will be willing to cooperate for this purpose. It is not possible to make to the Congress a communication upon the present foreign relations of the United States so detailed as to convey an adequate impression of the enormous increase in the importance and activities of those relations. If this government is really to preserve to the American people that free opportunity in foreign markets which will soon be indispensable to our prosperity, even greater efforts must be made. Otherwise, the American merchant, manufacturer, and exporter will find many a field in which American trade should logically predominate, preempted through the more energetic efforts of other governments and other commercial nations. There are many ways in which, through hearty cooperation, the legislative and executive branches of this government can do much. The absolute essential is the spirit of united effort and singleness of purpose. I will allude only to a very few specific examples of action which ought then to result. America cannot take its proper place in the most important fields for its commercial activity and enterprise unless we have a merchant marine. American commerce and enterprise cannot be effectively fostered in those fields, unless we have good American banks in the countries referred to. We need American newspapers in those countries and proper means for public information about them. We need to assure the permanency of a trained foreign service. We need... Legislation enabling the members of the Foreign Service to be systematically brought in direct contact with the industrial, manufacturing, and exporting interests of this country, in order that American businessmen may enter the foreign field with a clear perception of the exact conditions to be dealt with, and the officers themselves may prosecute their work with a clear idea of what American industrial and manufacturing interests require. Congress should fully realize the conditions which obtain in the world as we find ourselves at the threshold of our middle age as a nation. We have emerged full-grown as a peer in the great concourse of nations. We have passed through various formative periods— we have been self-centered in the struggle to develop our domestic resources and deal with our domestic questions. The nation is now too matured to continue in its foreign relations those temporary expedients natural to a people to whom domestic affairs are the sole concern. In the past, our diplomacy has often consisted in normal times in a mere assertion of the right to international existence. We are now in a larger relation with broader rights of our own and obligations to others than ourselves. A number of great guiding principles were laid down early in the history of this government. The recent task of our diplomacy has been to adjust those principles to the conditions of today, to develop their corollaries, to find Practical applications of the old principles expanded to meet new situations. Thus, are being evolved bases upon which can rest the superstructure of policies which must grow with the destined progress of this nation. The successful conduct of our foreign relations demands a broad and modern view. We cannot meet new questions nor build the future if we confine ourselves to outworn dogmas of the past and to the perspective appropriate at our emergence from colonial times and conditions. The opening of the Panama Canal will mark a new era in our international life, and create new and worldwide conditions which, with their vast correlations and consequences, will obtain for hundreds of years to come. We must not wait for events to overtake us unawares. With continuity of purpose— We must deal with the problems of our external relations by a diplomacy, modern, resourceful, magnanimous, and fittingly expressive of the high ideals of a great nation. End of Part 1 End of Section 13